I'm Mark Furley. And I'm Rebecca Furley. And uh, we were asked by Julie Hunt to be part of the uh, children's ministry. We serve in the, uh, the fifth grade life group at 930. What we love most is just interacting with the kids. I love to greet the kids. That's, that's really my favorite. That's my sweet spot. I like to be, you know, and greet the parents and let them know that their kids are in a safe place and they're going to learn a lot, they're going to have a lot of fun, and they're going to connect here at First Baptist. Fifth grade is a great year. Um, you can see it f physically and emotionally that it's such a tremendous change, particularly from the beginning of the year and the kids come in and then really we see it the next year in sixth grade when they've gone up and, and you just see the physical maturity. But it's that time where they're starting to kind of understand that their faith and the things they believe transition from something that other people have told them to them becoming owners of those beliefs. Tell me what you like about your teachers. I like how they interact with me and teach me more about God and Jesus. I think we need life group leaders so we're not in there just trying to look at verses, but we have teachers so that we know what verses to look up. I think if I had the opportunity to encourage someone to step up and be a life group leader, especially for the children, since that's been our experience, would be just to do it. If God has laid it on your heart, just do it because you will, you will be blessed beyond uh, any measure. If you can read and you can speak and you have something to share, this really is a fun age. It's uh, the kids are inquisitive. You know, whatever age you feel comfortable, we have a, we have something that we can give back. And, and I think that's important that nobody ever feels, nobody should ever feel, I don't have anything to contribute, because we each do. We really need their help because children can't just really learn real good and stuff. They can go into the Bible and look up a verse, but we need the adults to really elaborate on it and really make us understand about it. Your life groups matter because these children matter, and uh, you know they're not—they're not primary students anymore. They're not high school kids. Middle school is a is a challenging and, and sometimes confusing time. So, to me, it matters because we need to be there to reassure them that the questions that they have are real and they matter, and and they're important for them to wrestle with and begin that process of owning their own faith. I think that if we didn't have them, it would be really bad. And lots of kids wouldn't get to know about their God who made them and why God loves them and why what's a Christian and who's Jesus. So that's why we think we should have life groups. The church, it's a big church. And I don't think that's, that's not a hidden fact from anybody who walks in the door. So it'd be pretty easy to come in, attend service, and walk out and never connect with people. So in the smaller, intimate settings, whether as a student, as a leader, that's where we connect inside the building, and that's where we connect outside the building. I'm Madeline. And I'm Imani. We're the Sartwells. We are Rebecca and Mark Furley, and we believe life groups matter. Yeah. Life, life groups do matter. and. Uh, whether it's you feeling God's call to lead one, uh, or perhaps some of you here are not part of one and God's leading you to join one, 
Uh, or maybe God like, uh, is leading you like he has many of you here today to uh, begin one, to start one. Uh, life groups matter. Life groups matter, uh, and they are an integral part of who we are at First Norfolk and the strategy that we have. I want us to take a look at our strategy, uh, and this is part of the message, but uh, our strategy is not complex. It may not be clear for you to understand everything, uh, and that's kind of what I'm doing right now is trying to help make things clear, uh, but this is our strategy as a church. It's not, it's not rocket science, and it's not confusing. Uh, everything begins around the cross of Christ. There in the middle, it's called the gathering. And that's what we're doing right now. This is the gathering. And this is where God's people get together and they grow uh, as, uh, as missionary followers of Christ to love God, love others, and live the mission. That's what life groups are all about. Life groups are uh, part of the gathering. It's where believers get together and they grow in fellowship with one another uh, and they grow in uh, fellowship with God and they grow uh, in their passion and purpose to live the mission that God has given us. So the gathering is what happens here. But we also realize that not uh, uh, the majority of your time is, for most of you, is not here. Majority of your time is n- somewhere else. Uh, majority of my time is here, but the majority of most of y'all, y'all, y'all spend most of your time somewhere other than here. And so the gathering uh, is uh, special, it's important, it's essential. Uh, but we also know the importance of the home. And, and home is your neighborhood. It's uh, with those who are family or, or, or like family to you. You gather with them. And, and in that home setting, there is that component. And really, the essential ingredient of being at home is uh, it's my job to make sure that I help my children become missionary followers of Christ, to grow in love for God, love for others, and, and to live the mission. That's my primary responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility primarily uh, to grow my children to be missionary followers of Christ. It is the parents' responsibility primarily. So that, there's that aspect. Um, uh, church has its place, but the home also has that place. So we, we believe very strongly in those conversations with, in our home and want to challenge you as, as uh, part of First Norfolk to have those conversations in your home, help your family grow in uh, love for God, love others, and live the mission. Uh, but we also know that our home is a place where we can have community or where we can uh, in, enter into uh, relationships and conversations uh, with people in our cul-de-sac or some other place. And uh, so we have those uh, connections, and, and that is an important part too. And we're supposed to have, uh, we call them yard events. That's where we just kind of have a, a, a small talk where we talk about the Dallas Cowboys um, Dallas Cowboys dominating NFC East this year. Uh, we talk about that and uh, start a fight, and I'm banned from all cul-de-sac parties from that point forward. Uh, but no, it's, it's those yard events where we have uh, small talk, and we, we, we build uh, friendships with one another. And, and that's important because we pray that those small talk, that small talk will lead to spiritual conversations. And we call those the kitchen table conversations where you sit down with one of your neighbors and you have a talk uh, that moves beyond uh, Cowboys versus Redskins versus Giants versus Eagles versus uh, Steelers. Uh, it moves into uh, who is Jesus? Why does he matter? And we want to have those conversations with our neighbors. And that's, that's strategy at home. Then we have communities. And communities is uh, where we uh, as a church have made it our 
passion, and we believe it is our mission to love and to serve the cities of Hampton Roads and around the world. It's where others live, work, and play. It's, it's the person at Starbucks, or it's uh, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the family uh, uh, that lives way across town that doesn't look like me or act like me, doesn't have the same values I have. Um, uh, th- those are places and people that we as a church have made it our mission uh, to, uh, to serve those individuals and serve the cities of Hampton Roads and even around the world. And so that's communities. Now, that's kind of what Big Serve is all about. Uh, where life groups are important uh, in, in terms of the gathering, Big Serve, August 31st, where we uh, don't have worship gathering here in the morning time at all. We go into our community, organized through the life groups or other groups in our church. We go into our community and we do projects or service uh, to individuals in order to communicate the love and grace and mercy of a living God. Uh, and we're doing it because it's part of our strategy. And, uh, uh, and then we'll come back together uh, uh, on August 31st. That afternoon, we'll come back together, have a time of worship and praise and celebration Uh, But that morning, we're going to dedicate to serving the cities of Hampton Roads. Uh, And that's part of our strategy because we believe that's the heart of God. God desires for us to engage and and interact with people in our communities in the cities of Hampton Roads. Now, that's what today's message is going to be about and next week's message is going to be about as we look at the prophet Jonah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 1 and 2. And uh, you're saying two chapters, it's 1150, how's he going to get it done? Just trust me and hang on, it'll be all right. I haven't preached in two weeks. Yeah, that's not good news for y'all. <laughs> now, we will cover the material. All right, so here's, here's what we see in Jonah. By the way, when you hear about Jonah, what do you think about? Yeah, a whale, a fish, yeah. Jonah got swallowed by a fish. And, uh, and so that's, that's what you primarily think about. Uh, but there's a lot more to Jonah than just a whale or a fish. Uh, Jonah uh, was a prophet that God had called uh, to, um, to serve the city of Nineveh. And, and Jonah was not a fan of doing that. And as we gather here today, as we look at the life and ministry of Jonah and this encounter between Jonah and God and, and a fish and the city of Nineveh, uh, I hope and pray that you and I are inspired, that we are convinced and compelled uh, to serve the cities of Hampton Roads. Because I really do believe that God calls us to live the mission for his glory. That's, that's God's call. Now, you look at uh, Jonah chapter 1, uh, and let's just look at the first two verses. And now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. Now, a a real simple statement, God was sending Jonah on a mission, and that mission was to pronounce judgment on Nineveh. And you would think, that's okay, that, that would seem to align with what Jonah wanted. You see, Jonah did not like the people of Nineveh. In fact, no one in Israel... Uh, like the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh were the people that oppressed the children of Israel, killed family and friends and relatives 
of Jonah, probably. They're the ones that taxed them beyond means and measures. They were, uh, 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 the, pe- the people of Nineveh were a scary lot, and they were known for their atrocities. Jonah was not a fan of the people of Nineveh. So when Jonah hears that God wants him to go to Nineveh and pronounce judgment for their sin, you would think Jonah would jump at the chance. Okay, I get to tell them that hellfire and brimstone is about to fall down on them. But look at verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So so verse 3 says that instead of Jonah getting all excited about uh, uh, pronouncing this hellfire and brimstone on Nineveh, who he didn't like, he went the other direction. Well, why in the world would he not go and pronounce judgment on the people that he despised? Well, keep your finger there in, in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and flip over to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Now, Jonah is at the end of his, end of his ministry in Nineveh, and there's been a great uh, movement in Nineveh that we'll look at tomorrow. And here is Jonah's response, O oh Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he knew that God was sending him not on a mission merely to pronounce judgment, but God was sending him on a rescue mission. And, and that really is the mission that you and I are called to live. God calls us to a rescue mission. God calls us to interact, engage uh, the people in, in our community, at our work, at school, uh, the cities of Hampton Roads, and even around the world. He, he's calling us to be on mission with them to communicate that, yes, because of their sin, there is judgment. Because of their sin, there will be an eternity of judgment. Yes, hellfire and brimstone. Yes, we are supposed to share that message. But there's more to the message than that. We're also supposed to share the message of hope. Where there is judgment for sin, God has provided an opportunity for rescue. Jonah's big problem was that he knew that God was a loving God and wanted to rescue the people of Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with that. And you and I are here today, and there are people all around us who are living in absolute moral depravity, and they are living in hostility toward God, and we think they deserve judgment, but God says, I want to rescue them. And God is sending you and me on a mission to pronounce that rescue. And the question is, are we saying yes to that mission? It's a mission. It's a calling that God has given every single one of us. You might say, well, I'm not a prophet like Jonah. And I would say, are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And if you are, then yes, you are a prophet like Jonah. You have been clothed by the Spirit of God 
When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, he poured his spirit within you. And Joel chapter 2 and 3 tells us that when, G, when, when Pentecost was going to come in Acts chapter 2, that God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And in that moment, we would become like prophets. We are here today, and as followers of Christ, we are equipped and enabled by the Spirit of God to be on mission for Him. The question is, are we saying yes to the mission? And maybe it's to people you just don't like, or you don't want to spend time with, or you don't want to hang out with. And maybe they're people of bad reputation. And those are the very same people that God loves and wants us to offer rescue. Those are the people uh, that, that God loves and wants you to engage them with the message of hope. Are we saying yes? God calls us to a rescue mission. Um, but Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with that. So Jonah ran from the mission. But if you look at verse 3, it wasn't just Jonah running from the mission. There is another phrase that is repeated. Not only did he get on a ship to Tarshish, but he was running from the presence of God. Not only did he get on a ship to Tarshish, but he was running from the presence of God, fleeing from the presence of God. Now, here, here, everybody look this way. I know, I know it's late and, and y'all are hungry and everything, but everybody just look this way just for a second. Just look. When you run from God's mission, you are running from God's presence. It's just that simple. Churches die not because they had a bad leader or because they had a bad geographic location or because they didn't have the right kind of building or the right kind of program. Churches die because they say no to God's mission and they say no to God's presence. There comes a decision point in every church's life, throughout the church's life, where they are faced with a choice. Either I will embrace what I want to embrace, or I will embrace God's mission. And when the church says, I would rather embrace what I want to embrace than embrace God's mission, in that moment, the church is choosing to die. Because when we run from God's mission... We are running from God's presence. Jonah put his running shoes on, and he began to book it away from God's presence. And many of us have known what that's like. Many of us have known full well what it's like to run from God's presence because we didn't want to do what he wanted us to do. Guys, can I just say from my heart, if you're running from what God wants you to do, you're running from God. And if you're running from God, you are headed for darkness and chaos and emptiness, even as a follower of Jesus. And I'm, I'm telling you that because I know it. I know it because I've lived it. If you're running from God, you're running into darkness. And if you're running from what he wants you to do, you're running from God. 
I don't have time to unpack the story, uh, beginning in verse 4 all the way to verse 16, but here's the way it comes down to it. God tried to get Jonah's attention. Verse 4 says he threw a storm at the boat. And everybody was scared, but Jonah was so numb to what God was doing that he wasn't even paying attention. He was sleeping in the bowels of the boat. Finally, the captain came down and said, Dude, what are you doing sleeping? Would you get up and pray? The sailors cast lots. They figured out pretty quickly that Jonah was the reason that they were in their mess and that they were about to perish. And so they bring him up on stage. They begin to interrogate uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the boat, and they begin to interrogate him. And, and finally, in verse 9, he says, Well, I'm a Hebrew, and I, I believe in or I fear the God who made dry land and the sea. But he was also one who admitted that he was running from God. It was in that moment that Jonah had a choice. He really did have a choice. He could say, all right, I'm tired of running from God. I'm scared for my life. I'm scared for the life of the people in this ship. So I'm going to say yes to God. God, I'm sorry that I've been so stubborn in my heart. I'm sorry that I've been rebellious. I'm sorry that I've been running from the mission, the thing that you wanted me to do. I'm sorry that I've been doing that. If Jonah would have done that, the storm would have stopped. Everything would have been okay. The other choice Jonah had was the one he chose. He told the sailors, just throw me overboard and let me die, and the storm will stop. Jonah was not being heroic. He was being even more rebellious. When he invited the sailors to throw him overboard, he was saying to God, I would rather die in the ocean than do what you wanted me to do, O God. And some of us have chosen that path. We would rather die than see obedience to God. We're running from God's presence and we are dying. But the good news for us is that even though God has sent us on a rescue mission, when we get rebellious and stubborn and become disobedient to him, then we can know that God will rescue us so that we can fulfill his mission of rescue. Verse 17, I think, says that God sent a fish to swallow up Jonah. Chapter 2, verse 1, we see that Jonah is in the belly of the well, but then he begins to sing a song in the belly of the well. Now, what was it that made Jonah begin to sing a song of thanksgiving and praise in the belly of a well? Well, in order to understand that, you've got to understand the journey that happened between the moment the sailors threw Jonah overboard and when the fish came and swallowed him up. See, that journey between being thrown overboard and sinking to the bottom of the ocean, that, that journey that, that was, pronounced, was pronouncing him dead, that journey toward the pit of Sheol, that journey of a watery grave as Jonah was drowning, literally drowning in the ocean, all of a sudden he said, wait a minute, I don't want to die. He said, wait a second, I need to do what God wants me to do. Wait a second, 
Salvation is of the Lord, so I will take his message of hope to the people of Nineveh. And then God sent the fish to swallow up Jonah to rescue him. You think of the fish, and many of us have looked at this story, and we think the fish is judgment. No, the fish was salvation. If the fish didn't come and swallow up Jonah, Jonah would have drowned in the sea. But God sent the fish to swallow up Jonah to rescue him so that Jonah then could fulfill his mission of rescue. Now, sometimes God sends a fish your way. And you might think it's judgment, but really it's just rescue. I do have to say this. The longer we are rebellious against what God wants, the stinkier the rescue is going to be. Think about it. I know Jonah. He says it here in chapter 2. I'm thankful that God has rescued me, but my soul, can you imagine how stinky it was in the belly of a fish? It didn't have to go that far. He could have turned it around before he got on the ship to Tarshish. He he could have turned it around even as the first winds began to blow of the storm on the boat to Tarshish. He, He could have turned it around even as he stood in front of the sailors and they were getting ready to throw him into the ocean. He could have turned it around at any point and said, yes, God, I will do what you want. But his stubborn, hard, wicked heart said no to God until finally it was almost too late. And he was sinking and he was drowning And he was as good as dead. And then he looked toward the Lord's holy temple. And he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord heard his cry and rescued him. So where are you in this story? See, we're somewhere in the story. Maybe for the very first time you have heard God's call. You've heard that, yes, it is my mission to share rescue with my neighbors, with my friends, with, 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 with uh, people I go to school with, the, the people in my neighborhood. I, it, It's my mission. I didn't know it was my mission. I thought it was somebody else's mission. But, oh, my soul, God's called me to go to the cities of Hampton Roads and share this wondrous rescue available through faith in Jesus Christ who died for a sinner like you and me. It's my mission. And maybe here today, you're at the beginning of that story, and for the very first time, it's sunk in. This is my mission. God calls me to a rescue mission. Maybe, maybe you're at the place where you're running from what God wants you to do and you're running from his presence. Maybe that's where you are. And you're, you've got your running shoes on and you are trying to escape the hounds of God's holiness and his presence. And I got to tell you, you can't outrun God. 
You can't flee from his presence. He's there. But you're trying. Man, you are, you are doing everything you can to escape what he wants you to do. And your souls become bitter and you've become mean because of your rebellion. People around you think, what is wrong with that person? Because of your rebellion. You're sitting around in lethargy, stuck in your own despair because of your rebellion. You're running from God. You're running from, he wants, from what he wants you to do. And today, can I say, it's time to turn it around. Don't wait another moment. Don't run from what God wants. Don't run from his presence. Run to him. And say yes to what he wants. Maybe that's where you are in this journey, in this story. Maybe you're at the place where God has given you the rescue you need and you are taking those steps forward to fulfill the mission of rescue upon which he sent you. I don't know where you are in the story, but I do know this. Keep it real simple. If you're not being obedient to God, you're miserable. If you are being obedient to God, you have joy. The choice is at your feet today. You will either say yes or you will say no. By the way, look down at the end. I didn't get to read any of, of, of Jonah chapter 2. Um, let me read it. We have time. I mean, where are you going to go? Jonah chapter 2. J- just, just listen. Verse 2, Jonah cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and the Lord answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and, and your billows and your waves passed over me. And I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And the waters surrounded me even to my soul. And the deep closed around me. And weeds were wrapped around my head. And I went down to the moorings of the mountains. And the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Now here's the turnaround. Yet you've brought me up. And given me life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. That's when God sent the fish. Now, verse 8. This is kind of autobiographical. He says, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, what, what, what's verse, what's verse 8 and 9 about? Those who, who, who take hold of worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Who's this mercy? What is this mercy? Well, Jonah was saying, I had an idol that I wouldn't let go of, and that was my hatred for the Ninevites. And even though, even though God was sending me on mission, I wouldn't let go of that idol. I wanted to hate the Ninevites. That was the worthless idol. 
But in my desire to hate the Ninevites, I was letting go of the very love and mercy that God had for me when he called me, when he saved me, when he sent me. The more we hold on to idols, the more we let go of God's mercy. And that's when we are lost. Guys, without God's mercy, I'm nothing. I mean, I'm nothing. Without God's mercy, I'm lost. Without God's mercy, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. Jonah found that to be true in his own heart. He said, he said if I keep holding on to these worthless idols, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have any mercy. And so he cried out to the Lord. He said, I'll pay my vow. I'll do what you want, oh God. This morning, perhaps it's time for you to let go your idol and take hold of God's mercy.